When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whenever we inevitably get this Netflix or HBO documentary on what's going on with Michigan, it better be like a 10-part series like The Last Dance was with the MJ doc, and it better be just like all-inclusive, in-depth. I can't wait for it. Let me know what the title of that's going to be whenever y'all get in here in the live chat in the comment section. Hey, welcome to The Hard Count. There is a ton going on across the college football landscape. We're glad to have you in here at the People's College Football Show. It is Wednesday, November 8th, 2023, the last one on the face of this planet. Got to make it the greatest one in history. We appreciate y'all being dialed in. Some college football playoff rankings released last night and no changes. So we'll kind of unpack where they stand right now. But I think the key thing we got to look at right here after the second rankings is what have we learned? What, what can we tell from what the committee is doing in terms of how they're ranking these teams? What can we take away? Uh, I have one big takeaway when it comes to those learnings as far as these second rankings are concerned with the committee. Also, I put out the call to action on Twitter or the X app, uh, whatever we're calling it these days. I put a post on there and said, what are your most intriguing college football playoff hypotheticals? We do a live chat at the end of this show. And whenever we get to that at the end of this show, it is usually just jam-packed with, well, what if this team loses two games and there's a one-loss champ in this conference? And like, finally, I was like, okay, it's a supply and demand kind of show. Like, we don't call ourselves the People's College Football Show and not include what the people want to see. So the people want to talk some scenarios. We got three of them. Um, we were putting this together before the show. Things got weird. I'll just say things got weird. They're not predictions, but they are kind of taking into account uh, some of the scenarios that y'all want to talk about and kind of what we think on those. Also, USC, they have now fired Alex Grinch. This is the first time we've gotten a chance to talk about that together in a live format. Got some thoughts on USC, got, got some thoughts on where things are headed under Lincoln Riley, because I don't know that the firing of Alex Grinch just solves all your problems as they move to the Big Ten next year. So where to now for USC is kind of the key, key question. Uh, we'll also talk, obviously, about what's going on with Michigan as that Soap opera, that Netflix doc in the making continues to provide just tremendous entertainment value. It feels like every single time you refresh your timeline on whatever social media app you're on. Got to say it at the top of every show. Got to hit the reset button. Tons going on. You're in the middle of your week. It's Wednesday. I mean, hey, we're, we're halfway through the week, baby. College football Saturday right there on the horizon. You're going to get to it when it gets here. Let's enjoy today, though. Let's enjoy today. Attitude determines altitude. Let's attack today like we do every single week, every single Wednesday on this show. Whatever you got going right now, hit the pause button on it. We're going to get to that when it gets here as well. But for this next hour or so, whether you're in the car listening to us via podcast, whether you're watching right now live at your job or you're studying, however you're digesting this content, one, we're glad to have you here. Two, kick them up. Enjoy this. We're going to have a great Wednesday and starts right now on the hard count. So what is going on with Michigan? <laughs> like, it feels like you could just refresh your feed every single time on any social media platform and there would be a new story as it pertains to the Wolverines and Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Pete Thamel from ESPN, who is pretty much like the equivalent of Adam Schefter or Woj for college football, what he is to those platforms, uh, Pete Thamel is to college football. He put out a tweet that said the Big Ten expects a response from Michigan on notice of discipline by the end of today. So if you're watching this after Wednesday, there might be more developments on this, and we'll have those obviously on this channel. He also said, don't expect a ruling from the Big Ten on Wednesday as they're expected to take time to absorb Michigan's response. So what does that mean for us as the college football public? Hey, just sit tight. We're getting closer, nothing really. Sit tight, hang with it. There's more coming down the pipe here pretty soon, but things are moving. Now, the most interesting development in this whole saga to this point is a story that came out and the athletic has a great piece on it staffers from ohio state purdue and rutgers have all allegedly shared signs or shared what they have determined when it comes to michigan signs basically they all kind of tried to get the signs from michigan of what they do on their sideline shared them together and have submitted this to michigan so the way that this came about was a 
staffer that I believe was formerly at Purdue. He's no longer in college football, had some friends on Michigan staff, and he said, hey, I kind of just want to make sure y'all have this. People were sharing your signs actually as well. But the thing that I was confused by was like, okay, you shared signs, coaches share film. Okay, you looked at their sideline, you didn't send anybody to a game, so you weren't necessarily like going to the degree that Connor Stallions went. So where do we stand here? And so naturally, I hit up Andy Staples. I said, Andy, you are one of the greatest covering college football. Is this actually against the rules? He said, there's, there's no rule against what they're doing, but it does more or less go against like the general sportsmanship policy within the Big Ten of, hey, let's all get together to try and take down this one team. So in that way, yeah, it does feel a little bit funny, but I think there's a couple of different sides to this that we have to unpack when it comes to this whole development with these Big Ten schools. I don't know if colluding is the right word, but getting together to get Michigan signs and to try and take them down, essentially. One, like Michigan is still in the wrong here. Michigan is still in the wrong here because what happened here in my mind is the equivalent of students getting together and sharing study guides where Michigan was still looking over at the answers to the test. Okay, so at the end of the day, Michigan, when it comes to the way these rules are written, they still broke the rules. Now, what these schools did, and I don't think it was just these schools when it comes to the extent of schools breaking rules in the college football landscape, we'll talk about that here in just a second, doesn't necessarily feel that great if you're a Michigan fan today because it feels like, hey, what we did, they did the exact same thing. They just did it in a different manner. Yes, true. Dan Wetzel has a great article on this actually as well that's on, I believe it's Yahoo. Go check that out as well. Phenomenal insight. He compares it to like a white-collar crime to a blue-collar crime. He's like, hey, Connor Stallions, he pulled up with a ski mask and said, give me the signs. I'm taking these however I can take them. Whereas the other schools, they were sign-stealing in-game, got together after the fact, and then talked about it later and kind of found a way to put these together to try and take down Michigan. The bottom line is it didn't work either way if you were trying to take signs from Michigan because they still won the Big Ten last season and throttled Purdue in the Big Ten title game. But like at the end of the day here, what we're trying to talk about is when it comes to advanced scouting, they both did it. But again, I think the advanced scouting that these schools did was again, quote unquote, within the rules. Whereas what Michigan did, what Connor Stallions did, that's against the rules. Again, this is all assuming that what we have in front of us is considered to be proven. All right. So that's the first thought. Michigan, you broke the rules. The other schools, they did a similar thing. They did it inside the lines, technically. Was it like poor sportsmanship to a degree? Yeah, probably, but it wasn't breaking the rules. Michigan, you broke the rules. You still cheated. It's not necessarily apples to apples here. The other side of this is, what was the key thing people talked about when they were just going to town against Michigan? Hey, this was an unfair advantage. Michigan is just ruining the perfectly level playing field that we have in the college football landscape. Well, the Purdue staffer, who again is no longer a Purdue staffer, submitted this to Michigan. And Michigan has now submitted this, I understand, to the Big Ten. And they're saying, basically, the advantage that people are saying Michigan had by having these signs, other schools had the equivalent of that. So to say that somehow we had this perfectly even landscape that Michigan ruined I think that's a pretty difficult one to hold up with here because I think at the end of the day, like everybody agrees that what Michigan did was against the rules. It was cheating. Where we differ is the punishment and the impact of what Michigan did from a cheating standpoint that it had on their success. Like Paul Feinbaum, as of this morning, I believe, came out and said that he thinks that Jim Harbaugh should be suspended indefinitely. No disrespect to Paul Feinbaum. I think he's one of the greatest to ever do it, one of the greatest in this space for sure. But are we really thinking we want to suspend Jim Harbaugh because of this whole situation when we have other coaches in the same space that have the same kind of advantage that he has? Like the thought that Michigan now is Michigan and they're the back-to-back Big Ten champs because of the sign-stealing stuff is just irresponsible because we're not looking at the fact that they have a bunch of NFL draft picks on their roster. And this athletic article said the exact same thing. Uh, I believe it was an anonymous source that said, the messed up part about this, I'm paraphrasing, is that Michigan didn't need to cheat. They're good enough to probably win the Big Ten without that. They're better than Ohio State. They're better than Penn State. Their words, not mine. We'll see what happens this season, but that was the case the last couple of years. So now a lot of people, in response to the way that we've kind of approached this whole Michigan situation, they say, well, J.D., you're excusing cheating? You're okay with cheating? No. No, no one is excusing cheating. 
No, I'm, I'm telling you, Michigan should be punished. I'm saying the right answer with how we handle this and how we assess this is, as it usually is, somewhere in the middle. You got two extreme camps. We talked about it yesterday in our Q&A. One camp, probably the folks in Ann Arbor saying, well, you got to prove it. We didn't do anything wrong. We're not going down for any of this. Okay, that's one extreme. The other extreme is probably closer to what I think Paul Feinbaum is saying and saying, well, Jim Harbaugh should be suspended. Michigan should be, and to be clear, Paul Feinbaum did not say this latter portion. There are some people calling for the Big Ten to bar Michigan from playing in the Big Ten title game. They're saying that the college football playoff should keep Michigan out of the playoff. That's another extreme standpoint. So what I would say is, again, the right answer typically is somewhere in the middle, somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. Should Michigan be punished for breaking the rules? Absolutely. You break rules, there should be consequences. Did Michigan have some sort of advantage by sign stealing illegally? If that's true, 100%. You don't cheat unless it helps you, right? But to assume that Michigan is Michigan because of what they did and to assume that this landscape was just perfectly even before this whole situation became a reality, I think we're kidding ourselves. I think we're kidding ourselves because the other thing I would say here is, are we expected to believe that the information submitted here is where it ends? Like these staffer, or excuse me, this staffer that submitted this submitted information that wasn't directly against the rules, but it walked directly up to the line of breaking rules. And so we're supposed to believe, hey, they walked right up to the line or other schools across the college football world walking right up to that line, but they won't cross it. And this is kind of that cop out answer of, well, if everybody's cheating, is anybody cheating? And that's not what I'm saying, but I am saying to assume that the level playing field was perfectly level before all of this and to assume that this is where it ends, I have an issue with that. And I think that's not totally the proper context to view this whole situation through. So here's my hypothetical to you. If you want to suspend Jim Harbaugh, let's talk about it. If I were Tony Petiti, commissioner of the Big Ten, I would say this. All right, we'll suspend Jim Harbaugh or we'll put it to a vote to suspend Jim Harbaugh across the league on one condition. If you vote to suspend Jim Harbaugh, then we have to have total, complete access of your entire operation as a football program. And if we find one thing, one thing, whether it's a walk-on getting improper benefits that scholarship players are getting, which I don't know how that works with NIL now, whether it's you went over that hour a week rule, whether it's you were using the football during winter conditioning, whatever, if we, if we find one thing, your vote does not count. Are you prepared to take that deal? I think you would have a lot of people across the college football world kind of turn their heads, kind of keep a low profile and say, you know what, never mind. Never mind. I think that's the response you would get if you were to put it to a vote. So complete hypothetical, but that's where we, where we feel on this whole situation. We're not excusing Michigan. Cheating is wrong. Michigan is wrong for cheating. Is it the reason why Michigan won two Big Ten titles the last two years? I think we're kidding ourselves if that's the case, if that's how we feel about it. So that's kind of our two cents on the matter. I understand there's a lot of people that feel differently about it. And we appreciate y'all letting us know because that's what makes this whole thing great is the back and forth, the forum, the conversation, the communal part of this. So thank you so much for being dialed in and for making this what it is. Hey, we got some college football playoff rankings last night. Got the second edition of the college football playoff rankings. And I think what we need to start looking at here is, yes, it's week two. Yes, it's going to kind of play itself out. And we understand that. But what I'm curious about here is what can we learn from these rankings? Because it's kind of a mind game, right? Of you're, you're trying to assess like, okay, what is the committee really valuing here? Is it strength of schedule? Is it record? Is it resume? Is it eye test? All this. I want to kind of unpack this little by little here. And we'll start with just where the top six stand right now. Uh, you had Ohio State at one. I don't know how you drop them after the way that they played against Rutgers. Yeah, slow start, but their resume is still the best in the country. We'll talk more about that later. Georgia, based on resume, probably fair to have met too. Their real run here is going to happen in the next couple of weeks with top 10 Ole Miss, with Tennessee. They had a win last week against the top 15 Missouri team. Like Georgia is in career fair mode right now. They're putting that resume together. I'm fine with them at two. Michigan at number three, they were ranked three the week before because of dominance. They were dominant yet again against Purdue. Season starts now for Michigan. Uh, if they go undefeated and run the table, they should be in the college football playoff. Plain and simple. Same thing with Florida State. They're at number four. Luxury is the, the number to the right of their logo is much more important than number to the left right now. Ranking is fine. If you're five next week, don't worry. If you're three next week, who cares? You went out. You go undefeated. 
handle business. Same thing for Washington. Uh, the whole Ohio State-Michigan thing is going to handle itself. You would imagine if you handle business, you'll be in there. Same thing with Oregon. They control their own destiny. Uh, the Big 12 threw them a bone by having a conference champ now that will not be undefeated. So you avoid that four, uh, under, or excuse me, you avoid that four undefeated conference champion scenario because the other undefeated is Washington and you're going to play them likely again if you both take care of business and end up in the Pac-12 title so kind of win in your in scenario so that's kind of what happened that's that's the the way this whole format looks right now no changes and there was so much I always think it's funny man there's there's so much kickback whenever these rankings drop so much well we should be ranked ahead of them are you kidding me and there's all this outrage and I think the outrage is real and I, I don't have any issue with the emotion I mean we have the same kind of emotion on this show emotion is what makes college football for goodness sakes why we love it but all this rankings talk is a little bit funny because look at this top six one through six control their own destiny for the college football playoff and even past that like seven and eight Texas and Bama if you win out you feel pretty good about your chances to get in so I understand there's so much frustration about like, well, are they really watching the games? Are they really like us watching college football? The answer is probably not, to be honest with you. Like they probably aren't waking up for college game day or big noon and then dialing in for the rest of the day and staying up for Pac-12 after dark. They're probably not like us in that sense. But I do also think that the rankings eventually kind of play themselves out. So when it comes to like how they're putting these together, here's what I can deduce so far. One, resume is kind of the end-all be-all. The differentiator for them is why Ohio State is at one. Right under that is the eye test. That's why Georgia's at two, Michigan's at three. That's why Oregon is as high as they are with where they're at right now. But I think to put a finer point on what we said about resumes, the key learning for me to this point through these rankings is the college football playoff committee is freezing wins. Now, what does that mean, freezing wins? It means whenever you beat a team, whatever they were ranked at that point in time, the committee values that ranking. Florida State, perfect example. When they beat top five LSU, the committee saw that as a top five win. Now LSU has dropped now to a top 15 team or a top 20 team rather with them being number 19 at this point in time. They're not giving them credit for beating a number 19 LSU. They're giving them credit for being a, a top five LSU. And the reason why I know that is if they didn't freeze the resumes, I think you would flip-flop Washington and Florida State because the frozen resumes at this point in time for Florida State Again, if you're freezing the, the team's ranking when they beat them, top five win over Florida State, ranked win over Duke when they were number 16. For Washington, top 10 win over Oregon, nice win, a ranked win on the road at number 20 USC. So that's fine. Based on the way that that thing is set up right now, if you're freezing resumes, yeah, Florida State has a better resume than Washington. I think the eye test is probably back and forth with the way they've looked at this point in the year. But if you go ahead and unfreeze those resumes, and you say, okay, well, we're going to keep a running tally of, of where LSU is and what the teams that Washington played are doing and what Oregon, how that, how that win looks, then I think you flip-flop them because the resume for Florida State then would be a win over a number 19 LSU and no other ranked wins. Now, we understand there's more context to this conversation when it comes to what the ACC is doing and all that. For Washington, they have a win over number six Oregon if you unfreeze their resume and no other ranked wins. And to be real, I think the Pac-12 is a little bit of a better conference to this point in the year than what the ACC is bringing to the table by nature of where we're standing right now with two Pac-12 teams in that top six. So I don't have a problem with them freezing the wins, to be honest with you. If I were running the show, if I were Boo Corrigan, who's featured in that lower third, if y'all wondering who that is in that picture, those y'all watching live on YouTube, uh, I'm for freezing wins. And the reason why that is, is I think psyche is so crucial in college football and it sounds funny to say that but we forget now these are 18 to 22 year olds the mental and emotional state of where these players are at from a week-to-week -week basis matters a whole lot and that is directly correlated in my mind to where they're ranked now different teams handle it different ways but I think the best case study on this could be Colorado Colorado is a totally different team from when they were three and oh to when they just lost to Oregon State and I don't mean from a roster perspective. I don't mean from a health perspective. I'm saying psyche is so crucial week to week in college football. You would much rather play Colorado today than when they were ranked in, 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 in that 3-0 and conversation and they were rolling and we're talking about, well, how good is Colorado really going to be? Not because the roster is different, not because they have more or less talent, but because when your psyche is at a point where you are considered to be a ranked team or you're a top five LSU, you perceive yourself a certain way. Like what people are saying about you 
You try and block out the noise as best you can, and, and the best teams in the country, they have the same psyche every single week. But I think Colorado is a much more difficult opponent when they were 3-0 and than they are right now. And so I'm not saying that we should just totally, you know, excuse a team that starts, the, that starts the year ranked and finishes unranked and how we assess that win. But I do think freezing wins probably makes the most sense because momentum is crucial in college football. Another example of this, you would much rather play Oklahoma right now after two losses than that week where they played Texas. Like Oklahoma, they showed up that week against Texas. I don't know if anybody's beaten Oklahoma that day. Hyperbolic, sure. They were playing their best football that day. They're not playing their best football right now. A lot of it has to do with psyche and losing and winning and how you're perceived from a ranking standpoint. So all in all, all I'll say is like, I think that LSU was a tougher team in week two than they are right now. That's how I feel. Now, you could probably debate me on that and we go back and forth and have a good time talking about it, but I think LSU being a top five team with aspirations to play for the college football playoff and win the SEC and now having just lost to Alabama and being a top 20 team, I'm not saying LSU won't still fight like heck. I think Brian Kelly will have that operation ready to go. But going back to this conversation around freezing and unfreezing resumes, I'm not for the whole thought that, well, Florida State, they beat a top five LSU team, but actually LSU is not really that good. LSU was plenty good when they played against them, I promise you. I promise you, they, that team was ready to roll on that day, and Florida State just got the better of them. Same thing with Colorado. The way that they approached those first couple of games, they were a better operation then from a psychological standpoint than they are right now. And I think you can look at the way that they've gone out the rest of the season for, for both those teams. And I think we're going to see different teams respond different ways. But again, the way you practice, the way you perceive yourself, the way you talk about yourself, what you have to play for, you get a better challenge when the psyche is in a positive standpoint than when it's in a negative standpoint. So when it comes to the whole freezing wins conversation, that's why I'm for it. It's not a thing where week to week you get the exact same team. It's not like you just plug and play week to week of the same attributes. Same, it, it, it's not 99 overall every single week. It varies week to week based on your psyche and based on health and all that. But I, I do think that freezing wins ultimately is the right call. So do we have things that we object to with the college football playoff rankings? Sure. Would I value eye test more? Yes, absolutely. We have our own college football playoff rankings we do on this very show on Sunday. We have Georgia as the number one team because of the eye test. I think they, they would beat Ohio State tomorrow if they played them. That's how I feel. But I understand with this committee, you're trying to keep it as black and white as possible, and the eye test is factored into some degree. So as a whole, what we learned from the college football playoff rankings, resume is first, eye test, probably second, but when it comes to resume, they're freezing your wins. Very, very important now as we go on through the rest of the schedule because you got a lot of teams now with uh, a backloaded schedule, Georgia being one of them, Washington being one of them. We'll see how this thing shakes out. It's going to be a lot of fun. But again, those top six, man, any, those top six all control their own destiny. So whether you're six or whether you're one, if you're upset with where you're ranked, I would say go one or no, check back next week and keep that thing going all the way till Selection Sunday. Hey, appreciate everybody tuned in live right now. We got a good crowd on this Wednesday. We're so glad to have you here. If you could go ahead and hit a little thumbs up under the video. We respect tradition around here. It's a college football show, so of course tradition is, is pretty high on our list of things that we care about. Uh, tradition on this show is over 100 likes before we get off the air. It's been the tradition since we've started the season. If you could keep that streak alive, we'd appreciate it tremendously. If everyone who liked the video, or everyone who's tuned in right now could like the video, we'd be well over 100, and we would have ourselves... A good little time as we finish out the rest of this show. Finish out's even the wrong way to say it. We're, we're at halftime right now, y'all. We got a lot to unpack here. Going to talk about USC in just a minute. Uh, I want to go and talk about some of your college football playoff hypotheticals. Because at the end of every live show, what we do is we go to the live chat. One of the many benefits of being dialed in live on the YouTube. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Make sure you're subscribed. Quick plug there. But when we get to the live chat, without fail... 75% or more of those things y'all want to talk about in the live chat is playoff scenarios. What if this team wins and this team loses? What if we get a conference champ that's one loss from this conference, undefeated from this conference? How does it shake out? Where does it all fall on Selection Sunday? Well, to me, I was like, I'm seeing some demand here. So with us being the show that's supposed to supply, let's give the people what they want. So I went to X or Twitter, whatever we're calling it these days, whatever Elon decided to call it, uh, and asked y'all, what is your most intriguing college football playoff scenario? Got a lot of great responses from y'all. So I want to go ahead and unpack three of these. 
uh, was unpacking these this morning before the show, it got weird. I'm just going to say it got weird. Full disclaimer, none of these are predictions. None of these are projections. This is purely us unpacking what y'all want to talk about when it comes to what this college football playoff field could look like on Selection Sunday. So hypothetical number one is the SEC doomsday scenario. And we talked a little bit about this on a show a couple weeks ago. But this scenario has the Big Ten undefeated, so Michigan or Ohio State, Florida State undefeated, Washington undefeated. So those three conference champs, the ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, they're locked in. Locks Vegas, Nevada. Now the scenario gets a little bit more juicy here with Texas as a one-loss Big 12 champ, and then you get Alabama over Georgia in Atlanta as a one-loss SEC conference champ. Now, is this an SEC doomsday scenario? I think there is a couple of ways this whole thing could shake out. And the big piece of all this, the, the whole domino that this whole thing hinges on for the SEC doomsday scenario is Georgia. Because for Georgia, if Alabama beats number two Georgia, like Georgia shows up to Atlanta undefeated, they handle business against Ole Miss and they handle business against Tennessee, and they get to Atlanta undefeated. Let's say for the sake of this conversation, they're still number two. Maybe they get up to number one, and that would hold with how we feel about this. Let's say they're number two. Alabama's resume at that point in time would be four top 20 wins if you freeze them, which again, I think the committee does. And one of those top 20 wins being a number two win over Georgia. Now, Texas's resume would be two top 20 wins, four ranked wins. Right or wrong, I think Alabama gets the nod. And I just know the comment section on this video will be livid. We heard from y'all via the socials when we put Alabama ahead of Texas in our own top 10 by nature of how they're playing right now. Another conversation for another time. But I think the head-to-head, obviously, you have to talk about it. The concerning thing, though, if, it, if it's week two and Alabama just takes down the number two team in the country that's undefeated, back-to-back national champs in Georgia, I think they would have a very, very difficult time keeping Alabama out. And for Texas, based on that resume, it's not their fault, but the way the Big 12 has shaped up to this point, I don't think there's enough boosting them forward in, in the way they finished this season to be able to put them over the top there and get in over Alabama with that kind of scenario. So in that scenario, I think Alabama does find their way in, again, beating a number two Georgia. Now here's scenario two, going back to Georgia. If they go to Atlanta with one loss, so let's assume they lose to Ole Miss. That would be the best loss they could get, quote unquote, best loss. We hate that word, but it's reality. I'm going to go ahead and say that they drop somewhere outside the top five. So let's say you got Georgia sitting there at number six. They go to Atlanta. They're one loss. Alabama beats them. At that point in time, the resumes are the same, but I think the bat is a little bit less corked for Alabama at that point in time. And you say, okay, well, they beat a number six Georgia. It's an impressive win. You're SEC champions. You're a one-loss conference champ. But Texas, I think that point you look more towards the head-to-head. You don't have this shiny object in, in your face if you're the committee saying, hey, look, they just beat number two Georgia undefeated. You're really going to leave them out? At that point, you say, oh, well, it's a good win. But the head-to-head, Texas did beat Bama by double digits in Tuscaloosa. Especially if Quinn Ewers is back and they end up being definitive in how they win that Big 12 conference and they do it with some style points. I think in that situation, then the SEC gets left out. Then Texas is in. And it would be a wild time in the college football world. So I'm excited to hear what y'all think about that. I'm sure we'll get some pushback. Looking forward to it. Again, that is that is the best part about this whole show is the, the interaction, the communication, and hearing y'all's thoughts. But that's how we think that scenario would shake out. Now, our guy Luke hit us up. And he's got another hypothetical for us. Florida State and Michigan are the only two undefeated teams in the entire country. So Michigan runs the table, undefeated Big Ten champ. Florida State runs the table, undefeated ACC champ. They're both in. So where happens to, what happens to these, uh, these other two spots? Well, I think the Pac-12, funny as it is, we talk about it a lot, throwing a party before they sell the house. I think they're an auto bid. If it's Oregon as a one-loss conference champ, and again, this is a big assumption now, Oregon is a one-loss conference champ. If they get in, or if they run the table and beat Washington, they're in. Washington, if they run the table, they're in. Washington, potentially, if that scenario were to shake out and they beat Oregon in the conference title game, they would have five ranked wins. Oregon, in that scenario, would have four ranked wins with the vengeance of their one loss over Washington. So that's pretty specific to the Pac-12. The bottom line is to keep it all neat and tidy for this scenario, I think the Pac-12 is in. So you got the Big Ten taken care of, the ACC taken care of, and the Pac-12 taken care of. 
So we kind of find ourselves in that same scenario as last time. What happens with the SEC and the Big 12? Now, I think this still hinges on Georgia. Georgia's one loss now would matter. Because in the scenario now, the only two undefeated teams are Michigan and Florida State. So Georgia has to lose at some point in this whole operation. Let's assume that Georgia is a one-loss conference champ. Top 10 Ole Miss, top 15 Tennessee, but they still be a, let's say at this point in time, it's a top five, top six Alabama. Going back to the eye test, I think Georgia would get the nod in this situation over Texas and over Alabama. Because to be real now, we all say that we try and eliminate the eye test and we all try and keep, you know, last season out of it. But like, for real, is Georgia not going to get the bump if they're a one-loss conference champ? Are we really leaving the team out of it if they lose to a top 15 or top 10 team? Especially if it's top 15 at Tennessee or a top 10 team at the crib against Ole Miss. Like, those are both, I hate to say good loss, but those aren't inappropriate losses. Those aren't kick them out of the playoff kind of losses. I think the brand power probably plays a factor here. And I think Kirby Smart would get in over that group of three there with Alabama, Texas, and Georgia being that conference champ. So obviously they bump Alabama out. Now, if it's not Georgia and Georgia somehow stumbles and they're not the conference champ, then we go back to that scenario we just talked about between Bama and Texas and Georgia's loss. But at the end of the day, with that scenario, I think the Pac-12's in. And I think Georgia, as a one-loss conference champ, unless they somehow lose to Georgia Tech along the way, I think they find their way in. A lot of great hypotheticals here. A lot of great hypotheticals here. So this, this is definitely like the most wild one. This is like the Friday night kind of hypothetical where things just get a little bit crazy, a little bit weird. Hypothetical number three is from our man Hayden. And he says, he, he has Oregon or Washington, I believe, actually winning the national title. So I don't want to go that deeply down the rabbit hole where they play for the national title. I love the thought of it, though. I like where your head is at. That'd be awesome. It'd be a tremendous storyline but his hypothetical is that Oregon and Washington just both make the college football playoff let's start there and let's let's kind of have that be the talking point for this this is possible this is very possible this is not a prediction but this is possible it would take a lot of things that feel impossible but it's possible the bottom line here when it comes to the Pac-12 Oregon would have to be your one lost conference champ if Oregon loses two games they're not in so they got to beat Washington in the conference championship. And let's just say it has to be close again. Let's have it be another three-point victory. So the overall is like the series together, if you took both scores, is tied. So let's say they win by three. And it's, I don't know, 75-75 across the series the last two games. All right? So there's that. That has to happen. If that doesn't happen, this whole situation falls apart. Let's assume for the sake of this conversation, too, that the ACC does us some favors and they keep their side of this whole thing nice and neat and tidy. Florida State runs the table. They're undefeated. Now we get to the SEC and the Big Ten. You say, J.D., how, how in the world is one of them getting left out? Much less, how, how, how would this happen? How would this happen? Well, this week will be a very, very big part of this, to be real. Because if Tennessee loses to Missouri, Georgia will clinch the East. Now, Georgia still plays Tennessee, but if Tennessee loses in that 330 spot, the East is one. It's Georgia's. So if Tennessee drops that game, and then Georgia goes on to play that night, and they lose to Ole Miss, well, they got one loss. And then let's say that Tennessee, you know, you go to Neyland Stadium, it's not an easy place to play, and they catch Georgia slipping, and Georgia loses another game. So remember, Georgia's already clinched the East. They're going to Atlanta, but they got two losses. So they stumble into Atlanta with two losses, and they take down, let's say, Alabama. Well, at that point, you have a two-loss conference champ, Georgia. I'm just saying, let, let that sit in. That would be a wild conversation. That would be an awkward scenario. But you have a, a two-loss SEC champ. And the runner-up is also a two-loss SEC team. So no one's getting in by where I'm sitting by nature of how that whole situation is set up, by nature also of what history tells us about the college football playoff. No two-loss team has ever made it in. Could it happen? Georgia would be a pretty good candidate, you would think. But that would be, in my mind, something that would keep them out. So that's one thing that would have to happen. Now here's the other, and this is where it gets real wild. So stick with me here. This is where it gets wild. The Big Ten would have to have Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State just beat up on each other, and they all have one loss. So Michigan loses to Penn State this weekend. Michigan rallies the troops, 
gets to Ann Arbor, you take down Ohio State, and one of those three ends up in Indy. Okay, then you play the Big Ten West, and the Big Ten West just says, you know what? Much like the Pac-12, it's our last time. One time for the one time, boys. Let's let's do this thing right. Let's end this divisions in the in the Big Ten. Let's do it right. And they somehow find a way. Iowa just says game blouses, David slaying Goliath kind of fashion. They take down whoever it is of those three, and the Big Ten champ is not one of those one loss teams. So it's a multiple-loss Big Ten champion. Well, you say, okay, well, J.D., probably one of those Big Ten teams that didn't play for the conference title gets in, right? Yeah, probably so, actually. But are they both getting in? Is a one-loss Ohio State and a one-loss Penn State who didn't even play for the conference title, are they both going to find their way in? I mean, pick or choose one of those two. I guess you probably take Ohio State in that situation by nature of the head-to-head. I don't think you put two one-loss non-conference champs from the same side of the division. They didn't play for the division, or they didn't play for the conference into the college football playoff. So in that scenario, you have a one-loss non-Big Ten champ. You have no SEC. You have two Pac-12 teams. And you have the ACC. Last thing you have to have here is the Big 12. Big 12's got to take care of it here. And if you're rooting for this scenario, you're rooting for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, now, if they run the table, I believe they end up in Jerry World, and they could very easily end up playing Texas if they run the table. So, let's say for the sake of this conversation, to keep this whole situation intact, Oklahoma State, they show up to Jerry World, they take down Texas, two-loss Big 12 champ. I think two losses is kind of that kiss of death. I think you're, I think you're out. So again, in that field, you would have Florida State, Oregon, Washington, and then someone from the Big Ten that's one loss of Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State, whoever doesn't lose in the conference title game. I told y'all it'd be weird. This is a weird scenario. I'm not predicting it. But if you're asking for how it could happen, you're asking for intriguing scenarios, y'all delivered in full force. And again, this made my head hurt a little bit. This was, this was a wild thing to unpack. But those hypotheticals are very much so on the table. And we love college football for it. We appreciate y'all being dialed in, getting those scenarios over to me. So that tweet is still up. That X post is still up. Whatever you want to talk about it, let me know uh, your scenarios over there as well. Want to keep doing that here in future shows. So that's a lot of fun. Now I'll say this too, and it's, it's not, we're not fans of it here, but this time next year, we're talking about scenarios for that 13th spot. You know, who's, who's going to be the 12th team in? Is it, is it 14 finding their way into the 11th spot? Like, it'll be fun. It'll be a lot less fun than that whole conversation. But I'm just saying, let's enjoy it while it's here. Hey, if everyone who's tuned in live right now could not just like the video, but also make sure you subscribe to the channel, we'd appreciate that tremendously. Our numbers show that right around, I believe it's 90% of our audience is not subscribed subscribe button on the channel we would we would very much appreciate that so right now while you're watching the video hit the subscribe button on the channel and uh make sure you're dialed in so you don't miss a minute of what we got going on right here on the on three youtube channel on this wonderful thing that is the big picture wednesday now speaking of the big picture the big picture is shifting a little bit for usc in a number of ways fired alex grinch after they got 50 piece by washington and they're moving to the big 10 next year so the tectonic plates of the college football landscape are shifting caleb williams you would have to imagine is going to go be the number one pick in the NFL draft. So where do things stand right now for USC? The better question is where to now for USC? Where do they go from here? Because from where I'm standing, you fired Alex Grinch, you went down with the ship. But my concern is the price it took to fire Alex Grinch. Like it took Caleb Williams missing the college football playoff and never getting a chance to go there as arguably one of the best players in college football history, one of the best players for sure in USC history, missing out on another Heisman for us to make this kind of pivot. That's what it took. And defense has always been the problem for USC, or not for USC, but for Lincoln Riley, rather. Like, this isn't a new thing. The check engine light, the flat tire alert has been on for a while now. Last year, they allowed 29 points a game. Year before, at Oklahoma, allowed 26 points a game. The defense had kind of been that squeaky wheel saying, hey, this is, this, is the weak, this is the weak spot. This is the problem over here. We're going to take care of this? No. We're allowing 35 a game. Finally, with Caleb Williams not making the college football playoff again, we say, okay, you know what? Maybe it's time for us to replace that tire. Maybe it's time for us to reassess that. And, you know, 
the thought there for me is like, was Alex Grinch really the problem? And I understand that Alex Grinch is responsible for the defense. The defense was allowing 35 points a game. But if Alex Grinch was the problem and the defense was the problem, well, who's responsible for Alex Grinch? I think you point to Lincoln Riley. And you could kind of do that whole chart, uh, or the org chart, rather, for where it always ends up falling on the head coach. Hey, you missed a field goal. Well, who's in charge of the field goal kicker? Special teams coach, special teams coach, reports to the head coach. So I understand that it all goes back to the head coach. I don't want to just totally put the overarching blanket on that. But I do think that there's something to be said here for show me your results and I'll show you your priorities. Because the results for the last however many years have been negative on the defensive side of the football for Lincoln Rally coach teams. And so as we move now into the Big Ten, if priorities don't change, results won't change. And the timing of this now concerns me more than anything. Because your offense was always the priority. Your offense has always been great. Defense has struggled. But it had always been covered up by tremendous offenses. And I think the game is changing now a little bit more to where we're going more to this physical approach. And that sounds funny to say out loud, but when I say physical approach, I mean double tight ends, more pro style. Like teams are winning national titles now with that kind of approach. Michigan going to compete for a national title. Georgia, back-to-back national champs. They run a whole lot of 12 personnel. What I'm saying is the style that you play now, it's becoming more and more important to have it on the defensive side of the ball, to match up there because game control is becoming more important. It's not so much slow the trend of let's go five wide, air it out, throw the ball around the yard, go high tempo. You still see that. You still win with that, I think. But the teams that are winning national titles right now are playing on the line of scrimmage. And as USC trends into the Big Ten, it is a line of scrimmage league. Look at the, look at the schedule next year, man. It's going to be ridiculous. You're at Michigan. You got Penn State. You play Notre Dame. They're not even in the conference, but you play them. Like Those are three line of scrimmage football teams. And if they don't have it on the defensive side of the ball, if they don't make it a priority here, quick, fast, and in a hurry, bad things are going to happen for USC. They won't be just a three-loss team. They'll be a four-loss team if not more than that, because the price of admission in the Big Ten, the price of admission in college football is becoming solid play on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't mean to make this just a dunk on Lincoln Rowley kind of session, but I do think there has to be a very real philosophy change when it comes to what he does as a head coach. And far be it for me to tell Lincoln Rowley what he's supposed to do coaching his football team. He makes a lot more money than me to make these kind of decisions. But I do think that there's something to be said now for show me priorities. Those are going to mirror your results. And you hear things about how much they do or don't hit in practice. And I'm I'm not behind closed doors there, so I don't know without a shadow of a doubt what they do or don't do behind closed doors. But you hear things like that, and then it matches up with what you see on the field of how much they're lacking in terms of being able to tackle well and being in space and things like that. Like It doesn't look like a unit that feels super comfortable playing at the pace at which some of these teams are playing at from a physicality standpoint. So here's the good news in my mind. The good news is this is all very fixable. All very fixable, but it's going to take a major adaptation from Lincoln Riley. One, to just completely surrender that side of the football. I don't know how much he has or hasn't surrendered it right now, but I think you hand over the keys to that defense, hand over to what your defensive coordinator needs to be successful, whether it's structuring practice or days where you're hitting or whatever it ends up being, needs to be a philosophy shift to say, hey, we understand we have to be better on this side of the ball. Whatever I've done the last couple of years here, Regardless of who was my DC, it wasn't working. So we pivoted from the DC. Now we need to pivot from a philosophy standpoint. Other side of this, the transfer portal exists. You can go get better personnel. And they've done a great job of that, I think. I think they had better personnel even this season. Didn't see the results. So I think you need to keep reloading the depth at at that side of the ball. I'll just leave you with this. I think head coaches and CEOs are the same in that all the good ones do two things. One, they adapt, which we already talked about. Two, they delegate. Lincoln Riley is one of the best head coaches in college football because of what he does on the offensive side of the ball. He can take that next step if he allows his team to evolve with how he hires this next DC and how his philosophy evolves with hiring that next DC. So again, I don't want to overstep here and say that I know exactly how Lincoln Riley's running his practice or how they're hitting or whatever it ends up being. But again, you look at results that matches up with priorities to me from where I'm sitting. So I wish nothing but the best for USC. I hope Lincoln Riley brings home national titles for USC. And I hope that as a whole, like he can 
evolve on that side of the ball because we're seeing some really great offensive football not be matched with what they have on the defensive side of the ball. So where it's now for USC has to be evolving, has to be evolving. Looking forward to seeing it. Appreciate everybody dialed in. Well over 100 likes. Crushing it. Crushing it, as always. Uh, I want to get to an ad read here with our good folks at Roback. Uh, while we're doing that, make sure you get in the chat and give us your questions. We're about to go to those right now. Best part of the whole show. We appreciate y'all for that. This will be a quick 60 seconds or so. So we'll get after it, and we will uh, revisit that here in just a minute. All right. So... You guys know I love Roback. Roback is bringing you the hard count today. If you watch any of our stories we do on my Instagram page on Fridays when we're doing the Q&A, consistently wearing a Roback hoodie or a Roback performance crew neck or a Roback performance t-shirt. Bottom line, I wear them all the time for a reason because they have the best polos, best athletic wear on the market. If you need a polo to last you the entire day on a crispy game day, or you need a crew neck to last you the entire day on a crispy game day or a quarter zip, uh, they got you covered. Roback's the answer. Moisture-wicking technology, four-way stretch to make it easy to move in while keeping you feeling fresh. Roback also proudly been leading the new NIL charge, having signed partnerships with college stars Kate Klubnick, Kyle McCord, Nick Singleton, Jalen Milrow, Ajak Estime. They've also teamed up with the legendary Coach O. Great content there. I want to make sure that y'all check out the socials there because Coach O has been bringing the heat. Speaking of heat, they have great joggers and those are must-haves for crispy season, all right? So use code JD on Roback.com for a generous 20% off for all new customers. That's spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. That's 20% off, uh, 20% off all performance polos, shorts, and more with code JD. Just in time now, as we finish out college football season strong, lock arms, make sure you check them out at Roback.com. Appreciate Roback, man. Making it happen. Making it happen for the people. Uh, so, without further ado, uh, we talked a lot about the season for Nick Break and what he had going on. It's, uh, it's off-season Nick Break. It's, it's banana boat Nick Break joining the show right now. Nick, how we feeling, man? Long season. I'm sure you're, you're sore. I'm sure you're, you're battle-tested at this point in time, like you've gone through the fire and the flames. How are we feeling, man? Um, yeah, my kickball season's done. I'm feeling good. Let's get to some questions, J.D. We got a lot of them today. Okay. I don't waste any time. Uh, Joe Boo, uh, it's his first ever Super Chat, so thank you very much. Uh, first one ever on a live stream, according to YouTube. Is it possible that Stallions was a Buckeye plant? That would have to be like a lifetime undercover, like The Departed, because what did he do, that manifesto when he was 16 years old? So I'll say this, too. Yeah, that, so there, there's that part of it. I'll say this. I have a, a close friend of mine that knew Connor Stallions personally. I won't reveal how, but he said when he knew Connor Stallions, and, and this is back before it would even have been possible for him to be a plant. And he said, dude was just dialed into Michigan football year round. Like every single weekend, regardless of what was going on, he was going to Ann Arbor, Michigan to go and watch Michigan football and to just like be a part of the operation there. And I say be a part of the operation there, not from a coaching staff standpoint, from just like a take it in standpoint, being at a Michigan game. Uh, so dude's a lifer. Like if he is a Buckeye plant, Hats off to everybody in Columbus because you turned the absolute most diehard Maison Blue fan in the world into a plant for you. So uh, I would say that is very unlikely. But with how weird this story is, that would make the next storyline like that much more entertaining. That'd be a, a lifetime undercover, like I said. It's like DiCaprio and The Departed. Man, that, that's a tough life. Never saw Departed. Is it good? That's very, it's I love fantastic. DiCaprio. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> Lava's world. JD, what are your thoughts on Louisville and um, potentially them playing Florida State in the ACC championship? Yeah, I mean, they're on a crash course right now with Florida State, and we put out a snippet on uh, the socials the other day. They're the quietest party crasher in the country. Like, if you're freezing their wins, they have, a, I believe it is a ranked win over, I think it's Duke. Yes, ranked win over Duke, and then a top 10 win against Notre Dame. If they have another top four win, top five win over Florida State whenever they play them in the ACC title game, uh, they're going to be in the college football playoff. From where I'm standing, I think Louisville all but controls their own destiny. I say all but controls because I don't, I don't want to speak too authoritatively on that because I would have to double check exactly how the rest of the landscape would shake out. But like Louisville's, Louisville's right there. They're, they're, they're outside the top 10. I believe they're 11 as of last night. Uh, you got to keep, keep an eye on them. Louisville, Jack Harlow, and the boys could make a push for the college football playoff, and it would be the quietest push we've seen throughout the duration of the playoff era, in my mind. 
Uh, JD, this is a point that my co-producer Trey's was kind of talking about yesterday. I hadn't thought about it until then. Uh, Matthew says, JD, do you think Oregon scores higher on the eye test than Bama or Texas? They say, I think it's hard to argue that Oregon has a better resume than Bama or Texas, given that um, the Ducks' best wins are against Utah and Colorado. But obviously, like you said, the fixed uh, timeline with when you beat a team, that's a good point you made. That's how it feels with me, because they beat Colorado when they were, I think they were top 20, maybe even top 15 at that point in time. I have to double check. But they were like, it was a ranked Colorado team that they just throttled. And so I think that helped their resume. Now, I would say this too, like when it comes to Texas and Alabama and where they stand right now, like, yeah, the resume in terms of what they've done to this point is probably a touch more impressive when you look at the numbers next to the name. I think Oregon, with their statement win over Utah, the eye test is what separated them to this point. Like, I think everybody saw in a very public and national sense them go to Salt Lake City. College game day was there, and they just ran it up on those boys. And I think that did a lot for them from an eye test standpoint. So um, I think the eye test is what's separating them right now. Resume, I mean, people are right to say that Texas and Alabama probably have a good case to be made against their resume. So that's kind of where, where it is right now, I think. This next question isn't asking, like, what would have to happen for this, but it is just kind of a fun question uh, from OG Gary. He says, say chaos ensues in college football. Who are the four teams playing for the national championship? You can't use the current four, six teams. So if all Whoa. of those six teams somehow lose games – who are the four teams playing for the national championship? Ooh, I like that a lot. Me too. OG Gary always has a good question. OG Gary bringing it. So that means no Ohio State, no Michigan, no Georgia. Oregon, Washington. No Oregon. Florida no State. Washington. No Florida State. Okay, so in this scenario, if we've got to pick outside the top six, I think you probably take Texas, probably take Bama. So that's seven and eight. I have a hard time seeing a Big Ten team getting left out. So Penn State, I believe they came in at 10 yesterday. So I think Penn State finds their way in. And hey, how about this? We just talked about them a second ago. Louisville. What about the cards, man? Yeah. What about the Brom squad? Dialing it up a little bit. I mean, that would be that would be something if you got a playoff where you had Penn State, Louisville, Texas, Alabama, all four outside the top six. Mm-hmm. That'd be awesome. It'd be really cool. That'd be awesome. There would be such insane uniform combinations for Louisville, Oregon, if that could ever happen. But uh, in this case, I'd love to watch that. Uh, Texas, Penn State, Alabama. That's a good college full playoffs. It's obviously not going to happen. It'd be fun, though. <laughs> it would be, uh, it'd be surprising, to say the least, but stranger things have happened, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know why I thought about that, but it'd be kind of cool to watch Oregon and Louisville play both with their black chrome helmets. Yeah. You know? Two just like big dogs when it comes to the apparel game. Oh yeah, Adidas, it, Adidas. and Nike skids. One's got right. Yeah, Louisville's got the Adidas. Uh, I I don't know what it is. They're like, man, the red and black. We're just gonna run with it. It's clean too. Mm-hmm. It's very clean. I, I took a, an unofficial visit when I was a grad transfer oh, to right. Louisville, yeah. and they just. I mean, I'm a grad transfer walk on, so they're not rolling out the red carpet. But I'm I'm walking around the equipment room, and they're just telling me about like their apparel deal. Yeah. I was like, this is sick. It's pretty Like, great. as a walk-on, I get this gear for free. Yeah, I'm all about it, you yeah. know? But Hey, that's great. I mean, coming from a school, look, until I was a freshman in college, my graduate, or the school I graduated from, Western Kentucky, used Russell Athletic brand. So having that Louisville Adidas stuff would have been so cool uh, at my school, but that wasn't I kind of like that. Yeah. That's hardcore. Well, Russell Athletic is made in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is where WKU is. Okay, so. that makes sense. I didn't know that. Because it's a Fruit of the Loom company, and that's where it comes from. Oh. Um, anyway, Fruit I get down that loom. rabbit hole with the logo or the brands and stuff. But Swag Time says, J.D., do you think LSU's defensive problems stem from personnel or from the defensive coordinator? I think it's personnel. As we saw Matt House just, I mean, he was awesome last year. It was really what carried LSU in a lot of different games, Arkansas being one of them. They got some great personnel with Mason Smith and Harold Perkins. To me, it really does fall on what they don't have on the back end. Like we knew going into the year, LSU was trying to portal in a secondary and trying to make up for the guys they lost back there. And so you swung, you missed, didn't necessarily have the guys you thought you were going to have on the back end. And it kind of is what it is. And you're seeing what happens when you don't have a complete defense by nature of what LSU has right now. I mean, Florida State's a great example with that game. I mean, Florida State just diced them up with Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman, and like that was how they ended up winning that game. Um, I think a version of that happened against Alabama, not to the same degree because Jalen Milrow was just going 
bonkers in that game and he was the difference maker with how he ran the ball but because of how LSU had to play defensively with giving them so much space because I think they were worried about getting beat deep because they didn't have that secondary there that they wanted to have before the year started uh, I think that has changed what LSU's been able to do so the offense has gone I mean two three steps ahead of what we thought they were going to be even before the season but yeah when, when it all comes down to why they haven't been successful defensively I don't think it's on Matt House I think it's on the Jimmys and the Joes there um, good point, JD. Uh, this next question, I'm just gonna have to find it again. Uh, no. I did see a comment that was like, uh, it was from Surfer Boys, like, man, I wish Kirby would let the Georgia Bulldogs wear the all white helmet and Ooh. uniform. That'd be pretty awesome. I've um, seen those on recruiting pictures. Yeah, me too. That would be sick. Yeah, that'd be really great. Um, but, but this next question, this is interesting. Doig Jones, I don't know if it's supposed to be Doug, but it's with a Y, says, does any two-loss teams have a chance of making the college football playoff? Who would it be, J.D.? Someone, and they, couldn't, they might not have two losses now, but... Sure, yeah, that's a fair point. Who would point. it have to be? Man, a two-loss team making the college football playoff. Who could it be? Hmm. The answer is I don't think there's any team that makes the college football playoff with two losses, if we're just going to keep it a buck right now. Um... If we're going to talk about teams that could have two losses, I guess you would... So it would just take chaos across the board. I, I don't think you would see the Big Ten get left out regardless. Um, someone threw a scenario at us on my Twitter page about Tennessee. If they find a way to win out the rest of the way and, and end up you know, winning the SEC with two losses, can they find a backdoor in? That would be the one that I would probably be sold on the most. So someone in the Big Ten making their way in or Tennessee having a way to make it in with two losses, but... I'm just grasping at straws here, Nick. To be honest, I would, I'd be very surprised if we had a two-loss yeah. conference champion make Not their way year. in. Next year. Next year, that's, that's true. And also, <laughs> uh, if it happens, think about the chaos that would happen across the sport. Oh, yeah. Like it would, there would be so much that would have to happen for us to get two lost teams. Yeah, in. there's not enough time left in the season for that to be possible either with how Good point. all yep. these, these teams are shaping out. Uh, this next question from Andrew Messer. J.D., what are your, what's your reaction to Dabo Sweeney saying, buy stock into Clemson? Big yeah, I love weekend. it. I love it. I mean, I think if, if that's your head coach, you're like, awesome. Heck yeah, buy stock in us. I love the confidence. I love where he's coming from. People have been talking down on them all season with how they haven't adapted. Um, my concern remains the same. Like, yes, you beat Notre Dame. Awesome win. The question to me isn't so much, can they go to the portal? My question is deeper than the portal because to have four losses with as well as Clemson has recruited on paper, why are we missing on the number that we're missing at to have four losses? And some of that's maybe a scheme thing. Like I think it's deeper than just, hey, use the portal to be better. I think it's a, a philosophy thing. So, again, outside looking in, throwing stones from way, way away, you know, sitting behind a microphone. Uh, but I, I'm hesitant to buy stock is what I would say by nature of how they've trended the last couple of years. J.D., we've got a question um, from a former Roman emperor. Okay. <laughs> Marcus Aurelius says, J.D., I, I, think the, I think the fact that Michigan has only played its starters in one game for the fourth quarter means a lot. Michigan is very, very healthy. Knock on wood, Michigan fans, I'd have to say. Can any other teams in college football say the same right now? I want to unpack what he said about the starters because I think that's important. So there's two parts of this. One, you're glad you're healthy. That's the point, right? Like get to November, be healthy, be fresh, be able to go on a run when you have to go on a run. That's where Michigan's at right now. Box checked. My question, though, and this is the same question we had during our game breakdown when it comes to the Penn State game, are you able to kick it into overdrive and be able to show up for a fourth quarter when you haven't really played in that many fourth quarters during the season? Like, I'll, I'll say this, like, to only play the first half of a football game or the first three quarters of a football game and watch the fourth quarter, the moment where you're asked to do that in the fourth quarter against a better roster, there's a little bit of like a, whoa, hey, let's wake up and, and get going here. Are they able to just flip on the switch, play fourth quarter football, no problem. We're good to go. Experience is the difference maker. Or is it a little bit of like, all right, calibration period a little bit. We haven't played many fourth quarters. Where are we at as a team? I'm curious to see that. I, I, I trust Jim Harbaugh to be able to get them ready to play at the level they need to play at. But there's very, I mean, it's, it's difficult to simulate that, Nick. It's difficult to simulate not playing for the duration of any fourth quarters for the most part and then have to play against a top 10 team in Penn State at their place in the fourth quarter for the first time all season. I think there's a difference there. But yeah, can any team say? Can any other teams say the same? Uh, none that come to mind. No, none. none can. I, I don't think so, JD. Yeah, that's I mean, pretty incredible. Even yeah. Georgia was in a dogfight this past weekend. No mm -hmm. pun intended with them. In, well, and in they're Missouri. also beat up too. You know, you lose Brock Bowers. Yep. And, you know, yep. And they're a, yeah, Michigan. 
hopefully for their sake, stay healthy. Um, hopefully no jinxes here. A mm -hmm. um, couple more questions. Oh, sorry, I hit my mic. Uh, Dr. Dan, ask JD, what if Oklahoma State beats Texas? Could Oklahoma State jump high into the rankings? Would they, would they crack the top 10 if that happens? I think so. I think so. I mean, if they end up winning the Big 12, I think they're definitely a top 10 team. And I think they also find themselves in a New Year's Six Bowl, obviously, by nature of winning the Big 12 and having that auto bid. So the, the Oklahoma State pokes are, uh, are fun to watch right now with Coach Gundy because before this season, we had questions about who's playing quarterback, where's that whole psyche at with that team after the way they ended last season, and true to Mike Gundy kind of form, everyone sold them down the river. Everyone wrote them off. They did not write back, and they're going to have a chance now to, uh, to make a run here and potentially play for a Big 12 title. So I think if they do beat Texas, and Texas will probably be at that point, I mean, you would imagine at least number seven, if not higher, when it gets to that conference championship weekend and they end up winning out, uh, that would definitely put them in the top ten. Okay. Love it. Um, JD, two quick questions. Let's do it. Show. How's Let's that? do it. So we're pretty good on time today. I love it. Uh, Briley. Always in here. Welcome, Briley. Uh, do you think the G5, a G5 team will ever make the championship game under the 12-team playoff, given the way the transfer portal will always affect G5 roster retention? I actually think group of five schools, JD, at the top might get better with the 12-team playoff system. Interesting. I, wa I want to hear why, because I, I was going to go the other way, but I want to hear your thoughts on this, Nick, before I give my two cents. Well, I just think that there, there's a little bit more optimism going there. Your man, you're like, you know, would you want to go somewhere that can – logistically win obviously you're i mean people aren't going to go to a school thing it, it's national title or bust but right now i don't think there are any g5 teams that start the season and their goal is a playoff now that changes so i think um with that goal higher expectations of of being able to make it you're going to get better players now are they going to get five stars no jd but i think you'll see more retention though at least yeah and i think to to kind of echo that sentiment i think if there's the perfect storm like a Cincinnati where they had a bunch of guys that they were able to get onto that team that developed into NFL draft picks like a Sauce Gardner and a Desmond Ritter and you know not to knock Desmond Ritter what he hasn't done in the pros they made the college football playoff and played Alabama so like there was definitely a chance for that team to play for a national title now the thing that I'm worried about here Nick is with the transfer portal if I have one good season and let's just pick a random group of five school Let's just use, or I guess Cincinnati is not a group of five school anymore. So let's go ahead and say Tulane, the best group of five school right now in the country. If I have a great year at Tulane and some other school comes knocking and they offer me an NIL bag, I think the majority of those cats will have a hard time turning that down. Now, not all of them. Michael Pratt is a, is a perfect case study. The quarterback for Tulane, a lot, of a lot of people wanted him to jump in the portal and were hoping he'd jump in the portal for their team. He didn't do it. But... I'm curious about the roster retention for those teams because I think that's going to be key of having depth and developing good depth to be able to compete for, for a national title. Then also you throw into the mix that you have to probably run the table, not probably, you have to go through the, the course of a 12-team playoff to get there. So perfect storm could absolutely happen. Never say never. College football is the greatest sport of variance, and that's why we, we love it. But um, – I think it actually is going to get tougher with the portal and with that expanded playoff. Mm -hmm. Hey, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. There it could, could it be happen, like, though. Hey, we could see like a Gonzaga, someone like that. Who's just always a usual suspect from a group of five school in the college basketball world in the mid majors with Gonzaga mm. who just recruited a high level, uh, keep players around, you know, we'll I think see. it will take. Yeah. Who I think knows? you're right. I, I think there is the going back to this perfect storm. Like, They'll have to have someone like a Mark Few who's going to stick his flag in the ground mm -hmm. and say, I'm not leaving. We're going to build this place into a, it sounds funny to say, a blue blood group of five team. We're staying. Yeah. And then they need to have the, the resources to back them with NIL and say, okay, if you, if you like us having this football team, boosters at Tulane, if you like us competing at the level we're competing at, you better empty those pockets to keep mm -hmm. my man Johnny Four Star here or yeah. the guy who Auburn's trying to, you know, get on their team, or Alabama's trying to get on their team. And I'm not pointing the finger for tampering. I'm just saying if it's a SEC school that says, hey, come and play for us, and they have better NIL, I wonder how that conversation will go. So not pointing the finger. I'm just saying it's it's definitely there's definitely a formula there. I think you're I think you're on the money. Yeah. Maybe just like a team who's always there every year. It's the same team, you know, out of that whole group of five. I don't 
don't know. We'll see. Remember Boise State when they were awesome? Yeah, that's how I think that's how it's gonna be. Like if Chris Peterson could stay there, mm -hmm. when yeah. you know, like how does that whole thing play out if we have an expanded playoff and like Boise State has some alums that just say, "Hey, yeah. keep Austin Pettis at Boise State, keep Kellen Moore at Boise State." You know, that's true. Yeah, good point. Hey, all I know is those midweek games. Um, those games are going to be interesting because, you know, those teams are going to be fighting for that 12 spot. A little Maction action. Yeah, Maction, Conference USA. Um, what's the, the Sun Belt? All those midweek games are going to be a little more interesting. A little Fun Belt? Yeah, a little Fun Belt. Your boys yeah. down there in Bowling Green? Yeah. WKU? Yeah, COSA. We, we stink. Uh, <laughs> JD, last question. This is from Landon Fountain. Um, got the Bengals profile picture in the, in the bio. Uh, JD, do you think Jaden Daniels will bounce back this season after his injury against Alabama? Or you think he's done? You know, I, I think he'll – I would hope he'll play again. I think Brian Kelly said yesterday it would be 48 hours before they knew. So at the time of us being live right now, I don't have any information on the latest with Jaden Daniels. I would expect for that news to break here maybe later today, before the end of the week at least with his availability. Um, if it is a concussion, those things are just so week to week from someone who's had their fair share of concussions. Like, some might last a couple of days, some might last a couple of weeks. Now, I'm not saying Jaden Daniels is done for the season, but I am saying there's, those things are just so, there's so much variance there with, with concussions. So, as a college football fan, I tweeted this out as soon as he left the game. Regardless of who you root for, you hope Jaden Daniels is okay because he's one of the best players in the sport. Probably the Heisman Trophy frontrunner, even after they lost to Alabama. So I hope he's able to bounce back and keep what he was doing um, intact because dude is an absolute monster and just good for college football. So I hope not. I hope he's not done for the year. I would be surprised if he were just based on, um, based on I guess, the average timeline, if you will. But we'll see what it is. Mm -hmm. We'll see what it ends up being. Yep. Okay. That's it. Good stuff, Nick. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you, brother. Absolutely. I'll you see say. you tomorrow. Final thoughts. Final predictions Thursday tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Sound yeah. good? Where are the upsets? We'll be tracking the forecast. We'll find out, man. Yeah, we'll, find we'll out. pull out the forecast app. Yep. Appreciate you, Nick. Mm -hmm. Nick Brake, heavy lifter extraordinaire, keeper of the queue. We appreciate y'all being dialed in. Appreciate y'all being a part of this. Appreciate y'all as you have so many things going with school, work, internship, whatever you got on your plate. I understand it's probably taken a fair amount of that brain space. This is what we tried to have as an escape for all of us to just talk ball, talk about your team, talk about playoff scenarios, talk about the weekly matchups, like college football is something that we want to celebrate. There's a lot of people out there that want to make it this big agenda and, and have all these like sort of negative vibes, if you will, around the sport and the way it's trending. And like, of course, we have opinions and things that we disagree with when it comes to the direction of the sport and different things going on in the sport. But as a whole, like college football Saturdays are something we should celebrate and enjoy together. Not just like in our own little silo, but like together. We should enjoy that. And hopefully this is a place for y'all to come here and do that. Hey, we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. We are back on the air tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. Don't miss it. We will see y'all next time. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.